Hi everyone, my name's Meredith and I'm going to read the Bible for you. There are Bibles up the back. If you need, feel free to help yourself. Uh, before I start, I just want to say that this is no coincidence that I'm reading this passage because it was in April 1991 that God spoke to me through this passage when I was studying it and he said, I want you to be filled with my living water and a couple of weeks later I was baptised by full immersion. So when Ada gave me this passage, I went, wow. <clears throat> I reminisced. So let's read um, John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised but his disciples. So he left Judah and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Bracker. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, like Ada said, we're going to have a question time at the end of today. And I think it's going to be necessary because today we're going to talk about a topic that is, well, it's a pretty touchy issue in, in our world today. Uh, last week I talked about how in our culture we value 
uh, uh, tolerance, inclusion, equality for everyone. And that's good as Christians. We love this because we know that God has made us equal. So of course we should be treating each other this way. But what happens when there's a clash? What happens when I believe something that's different to you? And what happens when neither of us are willing to budge on that? How do we move on then? Uh, More and more in our world today, as Christians, we're feeling this, particularly in the area of sex and sexuality. What the Bible tells us about these things is now very different from what our world says. And so it can feel like we're at odds with others around us, particularly others in the LGBT community. So what do we do about this? That's what we're going to look at today. Look, you probably have heaps of questions about this and what it means for you in the workforce and all sorts of things. And I'm not going to be able to answer them all in the next 20 minutes or so. So I'm, like I said, I'm going to aim not to talk for too long, but then we'll have time for questions at the end. But help us think through this. We're in John 4, which Meredith just read out for us. And there we meet Jesus. He's on a journey. Uh, he's been down south in Judea. But he's taken his disciples and now they're headed back up north, back to Galilee. And of course, to get there, they have to pass through Samaria. Keep that in mind. Uh, It's a hot day, uh, the middle of the day. They're hungry and on their journey, they come to a well just outside the town of it called uh, Sychar. And the disciples go ahead into town to buy some food. But Jesus stays at the well and that's where he meets a woman. Now, according to the customs of the day, Jesus should not be talking to this woman. See, Jesus is a Jew, and she's a Samaritan. And, well, look what the woman said again in verse 9. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Who are the Samaritans? Well, we don't know heaps about them from back in the day. Um, It seems like they had some Israelite heritage in their past, but they'd split off from the Jews. And the big split between them was on religion. Uh, The Jews said that Jerusalem was the place to go. You had to go to Mount Zion and to the temple there so you could worship God. But the Samaritans said, no, 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 don't go to Jerusalem. Come to Shechem, come to Mount Gerizim. And and they built a temple there, the Samaritan temple there, so that the Samaritans could worship God there. And as you can imagine, this caused a lot of animosity. So much so that about 110 years before Jesus, along came this guy, a Jewish leader named John Hyrcanus. He took an army of Jews up to Mount Gerizim, And they destroyed the Samaritan temple. And this made John Hyrcanus really popular with the Jews. But the Samaritans, they hated this. Obviously, you can see why they don't like each other, right? There's there's a great tension between these two groups of people. And so here we are in John chapter 4. A Samaritan woman and Jesus, he should not be talking with her. The customs of the day mean they shouldn't be together having this conversation But Jesus ignores them. He chats with her. And we see that this woman is searching for fulfillment. You see, they start off just talking about water. In verse 7, Jesus asks her for a drink. But pretty quickly, the conversation moves along, and Jesus offers her living water in verse 10. 
He says in verse 13 and 14, this is the kind of water that you don't need to keep coming back to get more and more and more. It, it fills you up. It's the thing that truly satisfies. Jesus is giving here, he's offering eternal life. And this fulfillment, that's really what the Samaritan woman has been looking for all her life. You see, at one point, Jesus asks her to go and get a husband in verse 16. And then she says, well, I don't have a husband. And look how Jesus responds in verse 17. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you have, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. You can probably guess from, from this that the woman Jesus is talking with here is not young. She's not in her 20s or 30s anymore. She's probably more like in her 50s or so. And she's had all these experiences in life, all these partners, just kind of looking for the right guy to come along and complete her. But it's all been so meaningless. None of them, none of them have, have done the trick. And now she's with a guy who won't even commit to her. And so at this point, she's closer to the end of her life than the start. And what do you reckon she's got to show for it all? Probably lots of feelings of shame and regret, disappointment. And come to think of it, why is she going to the well in the middle of the day? Like, wouldn't you go at the start of the day or at the end in the evening when it's cooler? That's when everyone else would do it. But here she comes alone in the middle of the day. Makes you think, is she doing this because she's trying to avoid other people? Trying to avoid the looks of disapproval? Trying to avoid the, 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 the chatter that goes on behind her back? Here's a woman who's been searching for fulfillment and the right the right husband the right relationship was supposed to get her there but it hasn't it's gotten her nowhere in our world today we can look for fulfillment in all sorts of ways don't we right the uh, expensive holiday that just lets us escape from everything the right job that will give us real kind of satisfaction in life the new game or the new gadget that's all the rage. We look for fulfillment in all sorts of ways, but particularly today, fulfillment is so often tied with sex. Being liberated means being unbound by those old, strict, boring religious codes. Instead, we ought to be free, you know, try new things, have fun, do what you want. That's the way to be fulfilled, have a good life. As long as you don't hurt anyone, that's the answer. But how often does this come up short for people? It doesn't really satisfy. And as time goes on, we realize this, this idea of sexual freedom doesn't fulfill us at all. That's where the Samaritan woman has got in life. That there's, there's this hole within her. And try as she can to fill it, nothing will. And as she meets Jesus here, what do you expect Jesus to do? Will he kind of point the finger and condemn her in judgment? Will he tell her just to, to go away, to clean up her act, 
and then come back for a little bit of grace and acceptance? Will he perhaps celebrate the choices that she's made? Good for you. Good on you. Well, no, Jesus does two things. Firstly, he offers her real fulfillment. He offers her this living water, the thing that won't leave her needing to come back again and again, won't leave her needing to try and find the answer. This is the thing that will really satisfy. Jesus is offering her here eternal life. And he offers this even to the Samaritan woman. Despite her racial heritage and the way they shouldn't be talking to each other, Jesus offers it to her despite her past and her sexual history because he's an inclusive saviour. Her past is full of pain and regret, but that's no hindrance for Jesus here. His offer of living water, of eternal life, is open to all. That's the first thing Jesus does. The next thing he does is call on her to change her worship. That's what he's talking about in verse 21 to 24. Um, Remember, there was the argument between the Jews and the Samaritans. I wish you worship God here. No, 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 you can worship God over here, but... Jesus cuts right through this uh, argument and he says what we need to do is to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's a call not to be worried about where you worship God. That's not the important thing. The important thing is being God-centered in what you do. Jesus calls on her to change her worship because Jesus is an uncompromising king. We don't come to Jesus on our terms. We don't come to Jesus saying, well, this just feels right for me to worship in this way, so that's what I'm going to do. And we need to listen to him and let what he says shapes how we live and shapes how we worship. Jesus offers her living water and calls her to change her worship. And in verse 39, we see that this woman, and in fact, many other Samaritans, take Jesus up on this offer. One thing I wanted to see here, though, is that God is not on about simple behavior modification. He's on about true conversion. Let me explain that a little bit. Behavior modification. This is the idea that says to you, well, What you need to do, your greatest need, is just to change a little bit. Stop doing the wrong things. Start doing the right things and look, you'll be fine. For the Samaritan woman, that might look like sticking with the partner she's got now. You know, building a life with him, just settling down. And over time, maybe people will begin to accept you again. Behavior modification tells you to, to pull up your socks, morally speaking. Fit in with the church crowd here because that's all that God really wants for you. You'll be fine then. But it's not. God's not after behavior modification. He's after true conversion. True conversion is about that change in worship. It is returning to the God who made you, recognizing that we've mucked up and we can't get things right again, but that God has found a way for us. But God sent Jesus who died to bring us forgiveness. And God sent his spirit to live within us, to change us, to live with God as our God. You notice that the difference, the focus is not on me and what I do and how I can change myself. 
The focus is on God, what he has already done in me, how he changes me. And, and, and the two things, they don't bring about the same kind of change. With true conversion, that change is deeper. It's not just a simple change in the things you do, change in your behavior. It's a change of our heart. It, 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 it's a change of the direction that our life goes. No longer living for me and what I want, but turning from that and living for God and what he wants for me. This idea is really important when it comes to our world today. Because with all the talk in our world about you know, things like human sexuality and, and, and gender, but this reminds us God is not after the homosexual to become a heterosexual. God is not after the trans man to untransition and be a woman again. God is not after the guy who sleeps around just to stop his one-night stands and become monogamous now. Why? Because, get this right, you can be a heterosexual, monogamous, non-trans, middle-class, happy-go-lucky person, and you still have no living water. You're still missing out on eternal life. God wants whole person conversion, friends. He wants rebels turning themselves over to him, not resting anymore in what they can do, but resting in what God has done for them and trusting him. God wants people no longer to be parched, trying to search for the answers and fulfillment in this world, but God wants people to come to Jesus and drink the living water that he gives. To put it as bluntly as possible, God wants people off the path of hell and he wants people on the path of eternal life. That's what he wants. Not behavior modification, but true conversion. And so that's what we've got to be on about as well. So what do we do then as followers of Jesus when we live in an overly sexualized world where Sexual identity is said to be central to who you are. How do we follow Jesus in a world where our society thinks so differently from what the Bible says? Well, think about some of the options, you know. We could, we could just nitpick, criticize at every opportunity, look for the fight, look for an argument. But deep down, we know that's not going to get us anywhere, is it really? We could just ignore this clash. And go on if it wasn't a big thing. As if there really was no difference at all. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. But the problem is that that's going to leave us open and vulnerable to be swayed more and more by the world and less and less by the word of God. We could uh, try and put up walls here, friends. Not, not real walls, but, but the idea that we, we, we kind of shut the gates. We, 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 we don't engage with other people we keep the world out there and we just in here be a little holy huddle amongst ourselves but that can't be the answer right because god has sent us on mission to be in his world we can't cut the world off mate we could just try and accommodate the world change what we believe to fit in with them and who knows maybe that will attract some along but no, we can't do that, can we? We can't ignore the word of God and think that we're doing God's work. So what do we do? Again, there's no way I can give you a complete roadmap on this. It's not enough time, and to be honest, I don't have all the answers. But I want to give a few principles that I, that I hope are helpful 
Here we go, let's start with them. There's a few of them, but firstly this one, remember. Remember that as you engage with someone, simply being a friend with them, that doesn't mean you're forced to agree with them on everything. That's what friendships are like. You don't have to agree with something just because your friend thinks it's true. I mean, look at what Jesus does with the woman here. Perhaps for the woman, this is the longest social interaction she has had in who knows how long. But in doing this, Jesus didn't have to agree with her, right? It didn't mean that he was affirming all of her choices. He could still hold to what God wanted and treat this woman with dignity and kindness. We can do that too. Second, don't be afraid to engage. If God puts someone in your life from the LGBT community, don't be afraid to engage with them. Who knows, perhaps over time you will become friends. But don't just avoid that person because you know you think differently on some issues. I mean, imagine if Jesus had that attitude. He would never have left heaven to come to earth in the first place. Don't be afraid to engage. Thirdly, be ready to do lots of listening. Sometimes, I think there's a, there's a right attitude behind this. Sometimes we can be so eager to talk because we reckon Jesus is so good and we just want people to know him, and that's excellent. But, but do make sure you listen. And as you listen, live a godly life before everyone. Play the long game. Be ready to do lots of listening. Four, I think this is really important. Be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. When there is an opportunity, when someone asks you, what, what do you believe and why do you believe it? What would you say in that moment? Be ready for that moment. You know, what, know, know what your story is. What was it that convinced you to follow Jesus? What convicted you still now to keep following him? When, when that chance comes, you don't want to miss it. So, so friends, be ready. If, if you make a mistake, ask forgiveness. Uh, let's be honest. We, we, we can, we do, we stuff things up. And if we do, it's right to own that. So... Ask God's forgiveness and ask for forgiveness from the person that you've hurt. Number six, talk to each other here. Um, I don't have all the answers for everything. And probably the fact is you don't have all the answers either. But together, there's lots we can learn from one another. So particularly when there's something that you're not quite sure what to do, it's good to talk with each other, help each other think through how we do this, live as people who want to honour God in a community that has changed vastly on the way we think about sexual ethics. One more thing here. This is the most important one of them all, I think. Be convinced. In your own heart, be convinced that Jesus is the one who gives the living water. Be convinced that Jesus is the one 
who, who truly satisfied. When everything else screams out, just come here and get this and life will be good for you. Be convinced that Jesus is the one who fulfills. Nothing else, nothing else is, but he is the one who will bring wholeness. Be convinced of this for yourself, friends. Because if we're not, well, that's when we won't bother trying to point other people towards Jesus either, will we? Here is Jesus, our inclusive saviour, who fulfills us completely. Our uncompromising king, the one who calls on all of us to true worship of God. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he did not stay in heaven but came to save. Thank you that he's an inclusive saviour who offers living water to all who'd come to him. Teach us all, Father, to know what it is to truly worship him. And please help us hold out the hope of Jesus to a world that doesn't think uh, or doesn't want to follow you much anymore. We pray that Christ would be seen for, as the one he truly is, who really fulfills us in every way. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.